This is Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. Bringing you insight from outside the mainstream, I am your host, Ryan. Today we will talk about how globalists plan on stripping your independence, how the Inflation Reduction Act will do the exact opposite. I'll have a few more points on why we are in a recession, no matter what the Biden administration wants to call it. And we'll finish up with bureaucracies that are being armed. Next, on Living with Liberty. someone's independence? Would you take away their job? Maybe do everything for them or give them endless handouts? Would you inflate away their wealth? How about taking away the rights to land ownership? Or maybe it would be the biggest one of all, restrict the food supply. The push is now on to centralize the world's food supply, and this is all part of the UN's 2030 Agenda which in 2015 was signed on by all UN member states. And that date is important because it was a lame duck Obama administration that signed the U.S. onto this globalist power grab. Now, this globalist power grab was described by then UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon as the Global Declaration of Interdependence. No, I did not say that wrong. The whole point of the 2030 agenda is to move us towards one world government with the people dependent upon it for their every need and basically dependent upon it for permission to do what people do. If there is to be one central world government, there can be no pockets of independent people. There can be no sovereign nations, hence our open southern border. Independent people that can provide for themselves have no use for the government that has no use for their government provisions or programs, and those independent people will not be compliant in going along with the latest government-induced hoax. Sovereign nations will not submit to a central world authority, especially one that will not take into account the particulars of that culture or what that culture values. It'll be whatever these elite Uh, globalists want, with no uh, rhyme or reason to their decisions or any considerations for sovereign nations and what the people of that particular culture want. Now, Trump exposed the globalist plan, so now they are in overdrive trying to jam the 2030 agenda down people's throats to the point of no return, the Great Reset. 
And next up is the centralization of food production. I have an Epic Times piece here titled, Alex Newman Explains UN Agenda 2030 Behind Farming Restrictions. This is by Ella uh, Kietlinska and Joshua Phillips. Alex Newman is an award-winning journalist who has been covering this issue of centralizing the food production for over a decade. Now, Newman commented in this article, uh, for this article, I should say, uh, that the 2030 agenda covers every element of human life, every element of the economy, including global wealth redistribution, not only within the nations, but among the nations. Right there tells you everything you need to know. This is a globalist power grab. It is a one-world government setup that they are trying to, to put forth here. And it's not going to be so people are independent. It's not going to be so there's freedom and liberty. They want to control every element of human life. They want to control the economy. These elites think they can do a better job of telling us how to live and living our lives for us than we do on our own. They think they can control the economy. Now, I think it will be worthwhile to cover off this 2030 agenda plan in detail, as it contains what is termed a seven, uh, as 17 Sustainable Development Goals, a.k.a. stripping your rights and freedom and liberty. You can bet that these 17 Sustainable Development Goals have nothing to do with uh, the, the average common citizen and everything to do with what the globalist elites want. So because of that, because these are guaranteed destruction, uh, destructive to freedom and liberty, we will expose them for what they are. Propaganda and hoax is meant to scare people into trading freedom and liberty for security. It's obvious the UN wants to, make, uh, to take communism global. Any country-first policies stand in the way of them achieving that goal. Okay, back to the topic of centralizing food production. According to Newman... The United Nations 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development informs government policies to restrict farming and transform the food systems in different parts of the world. So how do the corruptocrats at the UN propose we go about transforming food systems? First, you take the farmland. Put the independent farmers out of business by restricting their herd sizes and fertilizer use under the guise of climate change. You see, they are using the climate change hoax to attack the farmer. Yes, they're using it to attack our way of life, our, our gas-powered vehicles, our coal-fired and gas-fired power plants. But they're also using the climate change hoax to attack the farmer. Do you really think farm animals are contributing to climate change? People have been herding animals pretty much forever. It's estimated there are between 8 and 11 million species of animals on Earth and that the animal population could be upwards of 20 quintillion individual animals. So are we going to go out and call all the wild animals out there farting in the forests and in the jungles and on the prairies? Of course not, because it's not about animal activity contributing to climate change. It's about us as people, and in this case, farmers, having things like land ownership 
and being able to make a living and be independent without a central government handing its, uh, having its hand in everything. That's what this is about. It's about governmental control. It has nothing to do with the climate. It has nothing to do with animals contributing to climate change. People are animals, throw people on there. There's seven and a half billion of us. Are they going to call us too? Because we fart and belch and, and have carbon emissions ourselves. Of course not. It's not about the animals. It's about centralized control of the population. The climate change hoax is nothing more than a global class of world elites trying to seize the means of people's independence and make those people bend their knee to these elites who think they should be top of the, the pyramid here, who think they are worthy of us bowing down to them. That is what this is about. That's what this climate change hoax is about. Go throughout history. Go back to the 60s up until today. And look, have any of those climate predictions come true? We were, what, in the 70s, and we were supposed to have an ice age. The 80s, it was acid rain that was going to destroy everything in 10 years. What was it, the 90s, I think it was, or 2000s, one of them. The coasts were going to flood out, yet all the, the elites live on the coast. So t that tells you how much they believe that. And now it's this, this nebulous climate change. It's gone from global warming to climate change. It's all a hoax meant to get people scared to hand over their individual rights, to hand over their land rights, to hand over their ability to make a living to a, a, a group of elites that want to control everything. That is what this is about. The globalist plan is right there. They're not hiding it. It's right there in the 2030 Agenda Report. It, it, so I say they're not hiding it. They're not making it super public either, but you can go to the UN website and find this information. You can go to the WEF website and find what they're trying to do. It's all right there, but the media keeps it quiet. They don't publicize it. Now, Newman notes this from, his, uh, from that report. It says this, Land cannot be treated as an ordinary asset controlled by individuals and subject to the pressures and inefficiencies of the market. Private land ownership is also a principal instrument of uh, of accumulation and concentration of wealth, which therefore contributes to social injustice. There it is. But continuing on before we get to that. Newman said that in his view, the UN ultimately wants to get rid of private land ownership. We see this all over the world. This is not just happening in, uh, happening in the Netherlands, said uh, Newman. Now we'll touch on the Netherlands situation in a moment. The global elites have the belief that they can allocate resources and control markets and control your life better than you can and better than the free market can allocate and uh, allocate resources in, in the marketplace. The global elites think they can be more efficient in the allocation of scarce resources than the free market. More aptly, they want control of those scarce resources to enrich themselves. That, that's the play here. Never mind that everywhere central command of an economy has been tried, the economy has collapsed under the weight of things like hyperinflation, crappy products, unproductive workers, massive shortages, because government by its very nature is inefficient and not concerned about cost or quality. Yes, the free market also has its inefficiencies. That's, it's a given. We live in an imperfect world. 
But the free market also has incentive to drive out those inefficiencies because that means cost reductions. That means more margin for companies, and it means better products for consumers. The Netherlands farmer protests are just the tip of the iceberg of this farmland grab. Now, according to a Federalist piece titled Pay Attention to the Dutch Farmer Protest Because America is Next by John Daniel Davidson, Dutch farmers are protesting a government plan to cut fertilizer and use uh, fertilizer use and reduce livestock numbers so drastically that it will force many farms out of business. There you go. Take people's livelihoods away. Continuing on from the piece. Earlier this month, farmers used tractors and trucks to block highways and entrances to food distribution centers across the country, saying their livelihood and way of life are being targeted by the government. Those Dutch farmers are absolutely correct. They are being targeted by their government, who has sold out to this globalist class at the WEF and at the UN. Fertilizer is essential to uh, crop productivity And livestock is essential to things like milk, meat production, and also fertilizer for that matter. The government coming in and restricting both of those items under the guise of climate change is absolutely a play to put the farmers out of business. And they've already floated that trial balloon here. Remember AOC's farting cows, Green New Deal bullcrap a couple years ago? That they're... They floated that trial balloon here already. It's coming here. Now, why would the Dutch government want to put its farmers out of business? It all ties back to the UN 2030 agenda, as well as the lunatics at the World Economic Forum. The idea is to start to centralize the food production in accordance with that 2030 agenda. And really, it's it's more of a uh, centralization with with the regionalization Uh, We'll get to that in a second here. But it's to centralize this food production. And the Netherlands happens to be the epicenter of that attempt to centralize the food production. It was announced at Davos that the Netherlands would host something called the Global Coordinating Secretariat of the World Economic Food Innovation Hubs, whose job would be to connect all other food innovation hubs. So that means... Food production would move to a hub-and-spoke model. With governments controlling the means of production regionally and having an overarching uh, one global, one-world uh, bureaucracy, of, if you will, of food production. And the overarching strategy here would come from that central command, presumably in the Netherlands, since it appears they are the first one to bend the knees to the globalists. So they are the ones where this is going to be tried out. Now, do you see it all coming together? Our government, our governments, our country's governments around the world, not just the U.S., around the world, is setting us up on this path towards uh, this centralization of, of, of food to make us bend the knee. Because if you're hungry, you bend the knee a lot faster than if you're independent and can grow your own food and have an independent farmer to go to and buy food from. Our government is setting us on this path in the United States. It's setting us on this path. I already said uh, before that AOC floated that trial balloon already of trying to 
regulate farms and restrict farms and cull herds. The so-called Inflation Reduction Act goes into this as well. The, the, this is all comes together. This, so far, uh, this, this Inflation Reduction Act will do anything but that. And it will put the U.S. on the path towards this uh, idea of a global government, of a one-world government. Now, the golden rule is whatever Congress names the bill, the opposite is true. So the Inflation Reduction Act will only serve to cause more inflation, cause more dependency on government. It increases taxes and, yes, raises taxes across the board, even on those making less than $400,000. And, oh, by the way, it will cost workers jobs. And what's the point of that? It's to make you dependent on the government. They don't care about the inflation. They, they, we have such a huge debt, they want to make the dollar as, as invaluable as possible because that reduces the value of our debt. Now, how will this bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, increase inflation and taxes? Well, right off the bat, the bill authorizes Medicare to negotiate prescription drug prices with pharmaceutical companies. Look, the government programs don't negotiate. They set a price and they tell companies take it or leave it when it comes to things like Medicare. It's why some doctors won't take Medicare. The reimbursements don't even cover their cost of operation, so they just won't take Medicare. The government says take it or leave it. Here's what we're going to uh, reimburse you at. Here, take it or leave it. Doesn't matter to us. I think it's coming more and more that it does matter to them because they want their hands in everything. They want to control everything. But, you know, it's still a relatively free economy here. It's still take it or leave it from that aspect of things. Now, supposedly, negotiating with drug companies will save $288 billion, which will then be used to supposedly lower costs for seniors on medications, including a $2,000 out-of-pocket cap for older adults buying prescriptions from pharmacies. So what do we have here? We have a government program negotiating prices and then imposing a cap on out-of-pocket expenses for older adults. Now, this is a recipe for everyone else's medical costs and premiums and drug prices to continue to increase at a higher rate than they might otherwise, a.k.a. inflation. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to see our seniors getting raked over the coals by insane drug prices, but this is a classic case of government causing the problem to begin with by meddling in the free market, meddling in the market of health care with a program that is unsustainable cost-wise. I mean, we hear about day after day, year after year, how unsustainable the Medicare costs are becoming. So they create this problem by getting in, involved in something they're not competent in, but they want to be involved in it because it takes your independence away. And then they swoop in to so-called solve the problem for one group only by capping costs and leaving it up to the rest of us to foot the bill through our premiums, our drug costs, and our tax increases. Where do you think pharma is going to look to make up the margin they lost 
by agreeing to a government contract, by saying, okay, yeah, Medicare, we'll, we'll negotiate with you. Um, sure, we can take that price be, because we'll jack up everybody else's prices to, to make sure our margins stay intact. That's exactly what they'll do. Pharma is likely to end up selling drugs to the government at low to no margin, maybe even a loss. We've, we know how tied in they are with the CDC and, and such. And so we know that they're involved in, in the government bureaucracy. So they, big pharma say, yeah, we can, yeah, sure. We can do that. We'll just jack up everybody else's prices. They will make it up by raising prices on drugs for the private sector insurance holders for those that go and, and, uh, you know, need a prescription. There's no qualms about them doing that at all. Now, what else is included in here? This disaster of a bill also extends subsidies provided during COVID-19 for people buying health insurance on their own for another three years. Let's be honest, these subsidies will never go away. Again, here we'll subsidize this, we'll give people money, we'll get them hooked on that, start whittling away at their independence. Here, keep buying government insurance. Those subsidies are here to stay, so not only do you have to contend with trying to figure out how to deal with your own rising premiums and costs on health care, you're, uh, you're going to have the government grabbing more of your money to subsidize, subsidize the purchase of health insurance for everybody else. And then there's the boondoggle spending on the climate hoax initiatives. According to an AP article, the bill would invest $369 billion over the decade in climate change fighting strategies, including investments in re renewable energy production and tax rebates for consumers to buy new or used electric vehicles. For consumers, there are tax breaks as incentives to go green. One is a 10-year consumer tax credit for uh, renewable energy investments in wind and solar. There are tax breaks for buying electric vehicles, including a $4,000 tax credit for the purchase of a used electric vehicle and $7,500 for purchase of new electric vehicles. What is going How are we spending all this money on tax breaks? On the one hand, we're hearing them say, we don't have enough tax revenue. We don't have enough money coming in. We have to raise your taxes. And on the other hand, here, have some tax breaks for uh, buying electric vehicles, for buying a used electric vehicle. You know what? If you get an old enough electric vehicle, that $4,000 tax credit won't even cover the cost of having to replace the batteries in that. Because, yes, these electric vehicles, the batteries need to be play, replaced every 10 years or so, and that's $10,000 plus just in the batteries. So what are they, so what are they trying to do here? I, they're incentivizing, yes, but they're, they're using this, again, these incentives to break down your independence, to slowly strip away your uh, freedom and liberty, to slowly whittle their way in to say, here, this is what we want to do. Here's a nice tax break for it. So how is the government planning to pay for all these tax credits and new spending? We said, like I said before, they don't, we don't have the money. They keep saying we need to raise more revenue. I say keep, uh, quit putting out there these, these useless programs. I, nobody needs a $4,000 tax credit on a used electric vehicle.
No one needs $7,500 uh, $7, tax credit for a, a new electric vehicle. If you want one, buy one. If you don't, don't. So how are they planning to, to raise revenue and, and pay for all this stuff? Well, taxing you and taxing business, which in the case of more taxes on business, it comes back to you, uh, the consumer, in the form of higher prices since businesses bake their corporate taxes into the sale price, which, oh, by the way, will cause more inflation. Higher taxes? Corporations don't pay taxes. You do as the consumer. They, it's a cost of doing business. They figure that out in the price. Now back to the AP piece here. The biggest revenue raiser in the bill is a new 15% minimum tax on corporations that earn more than $1 billion in annual profits. The new corporate minimum tax would kick in after the 2022 tax year and raise some $313 billion over the next decade. Money is also raised by boosting the IRS to go after tax cheats. The bill uh, proposes an $80 billion investment in taxpayer services, enforcement, and modernization, which is projected to raise $203 billion in new revenue. Now, let's break all this down, starting with the corporations, because this is just ridiculous, and they're not waiting. They're saying after this year, this is going into effect. So we've got four months to pass it. They're going to jam it through, jam it down our throats, and it'll be another broken promise from President Unity here. So let's break this down. Corporations have three options here with the new minimum tax on those making over $1 billion in profits. One, their tax increase gets passed along in terms of a price increase, exacerbating inflation. Two, they move their operations offshore outside the reach of the U.S. tax man. Or three, they scale their operations to stay under the $1 billion uh, threshold here thereby shrinking GDP, hurting shareholder value, causing shortages in the marketplace, hurting entrepreneurship and innovation, and probably the biggest of all, hurting job and wage growth. Those are the three options here for corporations. They will pick one of the three. I guarantee you they will. Taxes change behavior as the tobacco industry. These clowns on Capitol Hill didn't think about these things when they put this bill together because they never think about anything. They only think about what's in front of me now. And then they just sell it as this will be new revenue because these businesses will now be paying in. I had some economically challenged clown on Twitter retweet my post about this last week. Uh, And it was a post just breaking down very quickly the ramifications of this bill. And they said that it's only going to be, that I think it's only going to be an equal and opposite reaction economically to this bill. Yes, it is. That's what happens. There's cause and effect. Now, I've been doing business and economics my whole adult life. I've seen these trends over and over with tax increases. I've been part of strategy sessions on what can be done to avoid the new taxes. The last one I was a part of was the uh, Trump tariffs on China. Now, I hate to throw my qualifications out there. Nobody wants to hear that. But I know what I'm talking about when I say this. Now, what is it that uh, the lefties always mumble? Something about knowing or not knowing lived experiences? Well, this is my lived experience. I can tell you that businesses that will now fall under this tax increase are already strategizing on how to avoid it. 
The other piece here is about the IRS. So they are going to bloat that weaponized agency again to make sure they wring every last dollar out of everyone. I'm not saying nor condoning tax cheats, but you know it's not going to stop there. You know it won't. It's been proven over and over how the IRS has been weaponized against those with whom their ideology is different than those running uh, than that of those running the IRS. Now, here's the last ad from this I, uh, AP piece. And it's laughable about what they say uh, about the deficit reductions here. With $739 billion in new revenue and some $433 billion in new investments, the bill promises to put the difference toward deficit reduction. My bet and I've already seen some analysis on this, that it's not going to be anywhere near, what is that, about $300 billion that they can put toward deficit reduction? It won't be anywhere near that. My bet is that when all of the is said and done here, they will not realize the new revenue that they think they're going to get for the reasons I just outlined. P- taxes change behavior. People are going to figure out how to pay less taxes, whether it's an individual or a corporation. And that the spending in this bill will far outstrip whatever new money is coming in. Okay, so let's get back to this uh, other piece here of about how this will raise your taxes, kill jobs and deepen and probably lengthen the recession. This bill will hit the manufacturing sector hard. And this is coming directly from the Joint Committee on Taxation. Yes, Congress's own tax scorekeeper said this bill is going to hit manufacturers hard. And yet, the party that is supposedly for the working man is jamming this thing through a bill that will cause harm to the working class. Here's the projected impact of this bill in 2023 alone on manufacturing from the uh, JCT. We will have, or projected anyway, not saying we will have, but projected, it w- there will be a real GDP reduction of $68.5 billion, 218,000 fewer workers in the economy, and a labor wage decrease of 17, little over $17 billion. Tell me again how this bill is going to be good for the economy and spur growth and get people back to work and avoid a recession and reduce our inflation. It won't, but of course, that isn't the point. The point is to harm our manufacturing sector. Why is that? Because manufacturing jobs are, by and large, family-supporting jobs that grant and help people keep their independence. Congress gets guidance on the projected impact of these bills and the fact that the projections of this show such a negative effect on our manufacturing sector and by proxy the people that would be employed or potentially employed or are employed in that sector. The fact that this bill shows that it's going to harm jobs, harm growth, harm wages, and that they're going to go ahead with it anyway tells me this is about the globalists trying to strip our independence and the corruptocrats that are in bed with them. That is what this is about. 
Because no sane person, no person that has any modicum of common sense would look at this and say, oh, that's a good idea. Now, that same JCT also notes that the Inflation Reduction Act will also raise taxes on those making under $400,000, breaking Biden's promise of no tax increase for those that fall into that wage group or earnings group. And even worse, those that are making under $200,000 will see their taxes increase by $16.7 billion over the next decade. So those of us out there making under $200,000 will see our taxes shoot up. Those under $400,000 will see our taxes shoot up. So you can expect more inflation, less jobs, less money in your pocket, and more shortages on the shelves because of this bill, and they don't care. Because like I said, nobody with any modicum of common sense would look at this after the analysis was done and say, this is a good idea, let's put it to the floor for a vote. If you are listening to the audio-only show and your platform allows for reviews, please give us a five-star rating. It helps others find the show. Whether you are listening to the audio version or viewing on Rumble or YouTube, hit the Rumble or Thumbs Up button. No matter the platform, be sure to hit that subscribe button so you get notifications every time a new Living with Liberty comes out. The more subscriptions we have, the more likes, thumbs up, five stars review we have, the more the show gets into the recommendations made by the algorithms, and the more we are able to spread the truth. All right. Speaking of less jobs and less money, the buffoons in the White House and their media sycophants can try to redefine what a recession is all they want. We are in a recession, bottom line. Over and over, there's clips out there of these same just ridiculous lunatics out there saying, yes, a recession is defined as two consecutive quarters of negative growth. Well, we've had two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth, hence we are in a recession. They can try and spiff it up any way they want. We are in a recession. But just in case there's a few out there that may tune in that don't believe me, here's a few more kind of quick-hitting stories I've found that show we are certainly in a recession. There's certainly indicators of a recession. I'll link the stories, the full stories, in the description box, as I usually do. So, first point here, according to a survey of small businesses, nearly half of them, so half of all small businesses surveyed, including 59% that fall into the classification of retailer or retailing small business, are at risk of closing their doors for good by the fall. Here again, before I move on, yet another indication, because you think of the lockdowns, who did that hurt the most? The small business owner. What's the point? A small business owner is able to sustain and live independently of themselves and generally does not want government intervention in their small business. So now here we are two years on from that, and we have this survey out of uh, nearly half of small businesses saying that we are at risk of closing our doors for good by the fall. Now those business owners list inflation, higher interest rates, gas prices, rent increases, supply, di- uh, supply chain disruptions, 
lower spending by consumers, recessionary fears were there, and losses that they never recovered from 2020 and 21 as reasons why they will have to shut their doors for good. So small business, kill. what do we do? We've already talked about uh, how, how do you get rid of uh, or how do you eliminate someone's independence? Centralize the food supply, take away their, their way to make a living, whether that be a farmer or small business. Kill it because those are the easiest ones to kill. And then we'll have some sort of globalist corporate oligarchy. All right, a couple more points here on showing, yeah, we are in a recession. Amazon is cutting back their expansion plans amid cooling customer demand. And Stanley Black & Decker is reducing their manufacturing footprint, so they're closed. that means they're closing plants, and cutting 40% of their production or their product portfolio, so the, the uh, products you go and buy on the shelf every day, they're, they're cutting plants, they're cutting their product portfolio amid declining demand. If it feels like a recession and it smells like a recession, it's a recession. I don't care what the Biden administration says it is, or what they want us to believe it is, we are in a recession. Companies that are doing well, where there's a good market outlook, aren't cutting back on their expansion plans. They're not looking to reduce the choice that they give consumers. They're not looking to reduce their uh, manufacturing footprint. Small businesses, half of them wouldn't be at risk of closing if it wasn't a recession. And if we hadn't jacked everything up, and and given in to fear because the government wants to take over everything. Give Living with Liberty a follow on social media. If you happen to be on Facebook, follow the Living with Liberty page. If you have a Telegram account, follow the Living with Liberty channel. If you are on TikTok, follow Living with Liberty there. The handle's at Living with Liberty. I post show clips there. And of course, you can follow me on my social media home, on Parlor, my handle is at Living with Liberty. Okay, finishing up today, our government is literally being weaponized against us, and it's being kept quiet. They're trying to sweep this under the rug. The IRS has stockpiled 5 million rounds of ammunition this year alone. The IRS does, to be fair, they do have a law enforcement arm to pursue tax felons. But that begs the question, why does a bureaucracy have that authority instead of working with a law enforcement agency? Why would a bureaucracy need its own, let's call law enforcement uh, or special force to, to go after tax felons when we have like the FBI and local police forces? Why do we have to arm a bureaucracy to do that? And why would the IRS need 5 million rounds of ammunition? Do we have that many shootouts over tax bills where we're just plowing through 5 million rounds of ammunition? Uh, you shoot out because uh, some tax felon saw the IRS at his door? Oh, of course not. That's not the point here of why the IRS bought 5 million rounds of ammunition. The purpose is to keep the ammunition out of your hands to create scarcity in the market. How, we've heard for now two years about how guns are in short supply, ammunition's in so, short supply. That's the purpose here. They want to keep it out of your hands. Now, it's not just the IRS with its own special agents. The EPA has 600 guns, 
Special agents at NASA are equipped with machine guns. And the Smithsonian, yes, that National Museum in Washington, D.C., a museum, now has 620 armed special agents of their own, when in 2008 they had exactly zero special agents. Hmm, I wonder who in 2008 was elected president and blew up the, uh, the special agents at the Smithsonian to 620. Now, why would all these bureaucracies who have no law enforcement responsibilities have special agents? NASA needs machine guns for what? Alien invaders? The EPA needs guns for what? To shoot your tires out? So you, you cut back on, uh, on the, the greenhouse gases? Well, why do these... And, and why does a museum need 620 trained special agents? Is there some, like, Jurassic Park going on at the Smithsonian and they need to take it out and they need to take out some velociraptors? What's going on here? Why do these bureaucracies have special agents that are armed? And some of them armed with machine guns. You know the answer. This is about disarming you and marching uh, so they can march the bureaucratic agents in to take over. It's about replacing local policing authority with a federalized one. There is no good reason for the IRS, NASA, the EPA, or the Smithsonian to have any trained agents, nor to be amassing armaments and ammunition. This is about crushing the freedom and liberty of Americans and stripping them of their independence. That's what this is all about. All these actions aren't coincidence. There's a reason that the EPA has guns. There's a reason NASA has machine gun arm agents. There's a reason that they put special agents under the Smithsonian. It's to go after you eventually. There's no other reason for it. We have plenty of other security forces and, and law enforcement agencies that can, that, that can stand guard at, at NASA and the Smithsonian and the EPA. They don't need these agents. It's a weaponization of the government against you to crush your freedom and liberty. Now, Matt Gates is the one representative at least sounding the alarm on this. He put forth a bill to stop IRS uh, ammunition purchases while all the other swamp rat Republicans sit on their hands and do nothing. He's not going to get it passed, obviously, not in this uh, environment of Democrats having control, but at least he's putting forth a bill. At least he is one of them out there recognizing. And to be fair, I didn't look to see who else might have signed on to his bill because there are a number of other uh, patriot representatives out there who I'm sure uh, will sign on to it if they haven't already. Matt Gates is the one that's noted in the story that I linked, so that's he gets he gets the shout out here for uh, the time being. But he's the one representative who's at least bringing attention to this finally, and offering up a way to stop it. And you've got a ton of other swamp rats out there sitting on their hands and doing nothing because they're complicit in stripping your rights. The, the I tell you what, the Republican elite are just as bad at thinking they are above you as the Democratic elite. Don't ever think they're your friends either. They do conservative things sometimes. They espouse the right things in terms of freedom and liberty and constitution. But at the end of the day, it's about power, and the Republican elite are just as guilty of clinging to power as the Democrats. 
the government has been weaponized administratively. We knew that Obama had, uh, weaponized our government from an administrative standpoint and now is literally being weaponized against the people and our do-nothing reps have let it happen. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for tuning in. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living With Liberty Outfitters. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you shared, subscribed, and left a positive review of the show, should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family, as well as on your social media accounts. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. Follow me on Parlor. My handle is at livingwithliberty. You can also email me. The address is ryan at livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.